This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hello and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property, whether it's local, national, maybe regional, and sometimes international, and try and squeeze in different elements where we can. In this show, we'll look at the potential resurgence of prefab housing in response to uh, Cyclone Gabriel. We'll also look at what's happening with regards to investors and the real estate market in general, and how a few tips in there for investors about how things can go with regards to everything getting a bit dearer and how landlords can survive. We'll also look at a comparison of, of rental amounts between the private sector and with property management companies and see how they stack up. Uh, as well as that, if we get the opportunity, we'll talk a little bit about um, the rules planned for testing methamphetamine contamination in rental properties. So we'll just see how we go today. I'll rip into it and we'll fit as much as we can into this half-hour format. First of all, I was reading an article on stuff.co.nz. Now, hearts go out to anybody affected uh, badly by Cyclone Gabriel. This, this article says that Cyclone fuels massive demand for Waikato companies' prefab homes. A Waikato company building prefab houses has already run off its feet with extra orders due to Cyclone Gabriel. Social and emergency housing demand has always been high for Kainga Order partner Built Smart, but the Huntley-based company is now dealing with a practically unachievable challenge. Built Smart direct uh, General Manager Cameron Beverland received an order on Thursday to deliver an additional 150 prefabricated homes in Hawke's Bay and Gisborne by June. He says it's not practically achievable but we'll do everything to deliver as much and as fast as we can because as we know thousands of people remain displaced after Gabriel with the government grappling on how to house them. And we also have a, a company here in, in Palmerston North that does these prefabricated houses as well. And I imagine they'll be able to step up and try and help with this too. Uh, these are the houses that can just be put on the back of a truck and um, sent around the country. He says there's also been a demand, an increase in demand for 30 square metre emergency accommodation units. And so they're looking at putting together a plan for those and see if they can produce all of those. So contracted through Kainga Aura anyway, BuiltSmart delivered 26 factory-built homes in Rotorua just after Christmas and another lot is scheduled for June delivery. The building design company was in the midst of starting construction of 29 homes next week, set to be delivered to Morrinsville, Cambridge and Te Aumutu by early June. But in addition to the existing projects in the pipeline, Beverland said Kainga Aura requested an additional 90 emergency homes to be delivered by June this year. That's a lot of building work. And as he says in the article, we just can't physically produce that. We've taken on a portion of that, and the challenge is to get them delivered as soon as possible. So Built Smart in Huntley has been given the first contract in Kainga Aura's push to build more state and transitional housing using off-site manufacture. Beverland said the Gisborne facility, which was closed temporarily, should be ideal for easy transport of homes to affected areas. That's fantastic. 
He says, classrooms for schools is another part of our business, and I'm expecting there will be a fair bit of damage in the schools, which will lead to an influx in demand for emergency classrooms, which we'll need to try and cater for that too. The increase in demand for emergency homes has positively coincided with the abundance of labour force. He says, in some ways, a slowdown in the residential market is pretty good because we have a lot of builders and tradies looking for work, which we've been able to take on as extra crew in the factory, and that's positive. The... Next big worry for Bevelin, though, is the impact of forestry slash on the supply chain. Timber obviously comes out of forestry, and there are those forestry roads still serviceable? Uh, was the question he asks, which, of course, we don't know yet. There's a lot of assessment going on on those sites to see what, what is available. So this article, next article, is more a reflection on the market. This is from oneroof.co.nz from the news section. It says, who's bidding against you now? Why investors are missing in action? So I'll just go, just go through a number of points here about the market just in general that I th- thought was interesting. The first one is that the investor landscape is still testing. According to the uh, writer of this article, they say, I've been researching the current state of play for mortgaged property investors. The challenges in the market are not hard to find and include low gross rental yields, higher mortgage rates, and the associated top-ups required out of other income, higher compliance costs, 40% deposits, and the removal of interest deductibility. It's important to note that the existing landlords aren't selling in abnormally large numbers, and of course new purchases by mortgage investors haven't disappeared altogether, but it's certainly harder to get the sums to work on your first additional or additional purchase, especially when weighing up the real cash cost of top-ups, versus the less certain prospect of capital gains on paper in the near term. So it's still hard going for investors, hard making things happen. It says that market shares stayed pretty steady in January and the early indications from the CoreLogic buyer classification data are that first home buyers held a strong 25% market share in January while cash multiple property owners, including investors, were pretty steady too at about 14% of activity. Movers, that's uh, relocating owner-occupiers, had a slightly busier month in terms of market share, but given the challenges they face, it was no surprise to see that mortgage investors remained pretty quiet at around 20% of activity. There's still one in every five deals, but remember that the number of deals itself across all buyer groups is low, and at times in the past, mortgage investors have have accounted for as much as 28% of activity, so certainly it's possible to see the government's uh, all those changes that have been made um, are having an effect. Next thing they mention is rents flat again, question mark. An extra challenge for landlords but great for tenants is that rents have largely flattened off since April of last year. And this week, Stats NZ will update us with figures for January and it seems pretty likely that we'll see more of the same, that is flat rents as measured by the new bonds lodged. Uh, But there is, it is important to keep an eye on the net migration balance though and that's, I'll come to that shortly. With regards of what, what's happened with uh, Cyclone Gabriel as well, will mean there will be upwards pressure on prices as uh, supply and demand get out of sync in those areas where people are wishing to remain. Those of you with uh, longer memories might remember after the Christchurch earthquakes, uh, there was a huge uh, housing issue and many uh, rents went up considerably for some time and a lot of people moved out of the area. It'll be interesting to see if uh, our region, Manutu Wanganui, has an effect from people moving away uh, or even temporarily while things are getting fixed up. 
So with regards to migration, the net migration balance has turned around pretty sharply in recent months. And so on a 12-month basis is now positive again. That is, it's boosting our population, which adds to the aggregate property demand. December's figures, most likely, uh, which are due from StatsNZ this week, will continue that trend with net new migrants to the country outweighing the net departures by NZ citizens. One specific angle for property is that new migrants tend to go to the main centres first, e.g. in Auckland, and may well rent for a start too. And that could be a bright spot for the big city landlords over the coming months. Uh, And as people move around the country as well, um, that may affect their markets a bit too. Particularly here in Manawatu where there's a lot of uh, highly educated people that are brought in with regards to certain sectors, excuse me, certain sectors like um, tertiary education, science and so forth. A fifth point just that's generally affecting uh, housing at the moment is the high debt-to-income lending, which is probably down again. So uh, coming up soon, the Reserve Bank will give its latest update on mortgage lending broken down by debt-to-income ratio. This is a really important data set at at present, given their moves towards imposing formal debt-to-income ratio caps in early 2024, perhaps at seven, which is seven times your um, income regardless of the borough type but with the exemptions for new builds and a speed limit allowance um, with regards to the LVR system, loan to value ratio system. Recently high debt to income lending has slowed naturally given the high mortgage rates restrict how much debt can be serviced from a given income and it seems likely that this will have been the case again from October to December uh, which are the months due to be released. It's a key indicator to watch for especially as regards the investor landscapes, they tend to take out high debt-to-income loans more often. And all of that was insights from Kelvin Davidson, the chief economist at CoreLogic. And this follows on to another article on One Roof, and this is uh, Tony Alexander, who talks about seven reasons why first-home buyers are back in the market and uh, goes on to uh, talk about a number of things there. I might just uh, summarise a couple of points here. And it seems that the impact of the record tightening of monetary policy on November 23rd last year and the effect in which shifts of interest rates fears are having, first home buyers are back in the market. So in October, a high net 48% of brokers said they're seeing more first home buyers looking for advice, and that fell away to a net 13% seeing fewer come January. But now, more accurately, just last week, a net 30% of ordered reported they are once again having more young people through their doors. So why are the young buyers returning? Well, it's actually for many reasons. Firstly, the bank have cut their fixed mortgage rates for two years and beyond, so fears of shockingly higher interest rates are rapidly disappearing. Second, for all the talk of recession, hardly anyone is being laid off and plenty of jobs are on offer. Feelings of job security are strong. Thirdly, banks are not meeting their mortgage sales targets as real estate turnover is running 35% down from a year ago. They're responding by easing up their lending criteria and a further step away from the credit crunch which the Reserve Bank and Government imposed late in 2021. Fourth, the stock of property to choose from is actually at its highest since 2015. Fifth, competitions at, at, at auctions and open homes from other buyers, including investors, is minimal. So quite often you're in that one-on-one negotiating situation. Sixth, house prices have fallen some 16.2% from their peaks, while incomes have risen over 8%. Seventh, 
7th, rental shortages continue and could be worsening while rents continue to rise even as house prices fall. And the push to buy rather than renting um, grows each month as time goes by. So the tide is turning and we have yet to factor in surprisingly strong net migration inflows and investors realising deposit rates have probably just peaked. But with the interest rates so high, the ability of many people to meet lending rules and fund a house purchase is still poor. So we're not going to see a rush of buyers. Plus, we've been here before and the improving scene was smashed by October 18's higher than expected inflation. So there we go. That's a a little bit about that. Um, And I do believe that things here at Maruatu will probably stay pretty steady this year in terms of um, how things are. But if there is any change of policy by current government or by future government around some of these artificial handbrakes on the market, the market will start to to lift again and uh, could even take off because there is still the fundamental supply and demand problems. So I found this article on goodreturns.co.nz which is called Thrive and Survive in a Year of Challenges. And this is really about uh, landlords and in fact the new Property Investors Federation President Sue Harrison says despite the government using private investors as a means to prop up their tax coffers, which comes at the expense of the tenants, the private property rental market is too important to fail. So she says more investors translates into more rental stock, which eases demand levels in the rental market and helps overcome an overheating of rents. Most of all good stewards of tenants and smart investing make our investments reap rewards. Statistics show how much the government relies on private landlords to provide rental accommodation with about 85% of rentals privately owned. The government has introduced significant residential tenancy legislative changes favouring tenants and alienating landlords over the past couple of years, Harrison says. While it might be politically convenient to make landlords seem a cause of social problems, this has created an unpleasant us versus them culture between landlords and tenants. She says the biggest changes are just lining the government and banks' coffers. If we're smart enough to manage owning investment rentals, then we need to be smart enough to manage expenses involved with that. The biggest are mortgage, tax, rates, insurance and repairs. If the costs escalate, we have no option to ensure that the rent is managed well. Harrison says in these times, new investors are not being attracted to existing older houses because of the government deliberately choosing to enact legislation to steer them to new housing, as we've talked about on this show. So the rental market supply starts to constrict, which in a fair marketplace increases rents. In most places, keeping good tenants comes well before raising rents, but survival in the rental market business must always come first. So on top of the Residential Tenancies Act changes, the Reserve Bank has made a succession of major official cash rate decisions over the past few years that have flowed through into the housing market and are now escalating this year as mortgages roll off low fixed interest over to much higher rates. Banks are under tight controls to enforce interest and principal payments so it's not surprising we're heading into the perfect storm for those sailing close to the leveraging winds, Harrison says. After all, most landlords are Kiwi mums and dads who own one or two properties to secure their final financial future. And in fact, that makes up about 93% of landlords. These property investors take on a commercial risk and expect to receive adequate, adequate rewards. The real kicker is if investors are hurting and reacting, it's their tenants who suffer as well. So what happens when the economic activity that's encouraged by the previous government's 
is actively discouraged. She says investors are forced to defend themselves, their finances, mental health and future. For most mortgage owners, there is no option but to increase rents or sell. The result of government policy follows through to the end users. So whether a tenant or a home buyer, they ultimately pay, making homes less affordable. But what happens when there is a shortage of homes to rent? Should the government be building more homes as rentals due to lack of supply, or should we have a democratic housing market? Well, Harrison says that with the population increasing, rising investor activity is needed to assist New Zealand's limited rental market supply. Advancements made for the build-to-rent sector and more government assistance is needed to help shift more tenants into home ownership. So there we go. That's a little bit from the president of the Property Investors Association. And that led to another article that I found on goodreturns.co.nz which says how landlords can survive the cost of living crisis because it's important given that if the landlords can tighten things up then they likely don't have to or don't need to put rents up. This article by uh, Sally Lindsay says with the cost of living crisis and rapidly increasing interest rates times are hard for landlords and renters alike. It's now more important than ever for landlords to think about maximising cash flow to get through this downturn if they're due to refinance in the coming months. So the most important task for any business in a recession, and these are little mini-businesses, is paying off its debts as they fall due, otherwise it risks going out of business. It can have the best-looking profit on paper, but if it has no cash and can't keep up with the mortgage, the bank might call in the loan on the property. So focusing on metrics like net profit, return on profit or yield can give investors a false sense of security. So what counts, particularly in a recession, which the Reserve Bank has admitted it would like to engineer this year, is cash flow. This is the actual cash that flows in and out of the bank account. A positive cash flow means simply that there is cash left over in the bank account after paying expenses. So why is the cash flow so important for landlords in this cost of living crisis? Well, when an economic downturn hits there's more chance that others will have financial difficulties and struggle to make ends meet. For instance, they lose their jobs or run up debts because their income is not kept up with inflation. Landlords are particularly vulnerable in a recession, as rent is usually the renter's biggest outgoing. This can be a problem if your renters fall into financial difficulty and are unable to pay the rent. Alternatively, your renters might move out and you'll need to find replacement tenants. And although this isn't a problem where there's a rental property shortage and rents are high, this can change quick. And even at the best of times, there are usually voids between tenancies when no rent is coming in. With increasing interest rates and unexpected expenses, uh, like a new hot water cylinder or tax bills for mortgage investors of existing houses, because they can no longer claim interest payments as a tax deduction, landlords can quickly find themselves in financial difficulties. This is referred to as negative cash flow when the money going out of the bank account is more than the money coming in. So the best thing landlords can do in this cost of living crisis is to build up a financial buffer to tide them through should their cash flow turn negative. Reduce drawings from the business to an absolute minimum and concentrate on building a buffer of three to six months expenses plus the usual what we call sinking fund of 10% of rent for repairs and maintenance, which is normally a good idea. If rental income is a landlord's only source of income, so they may be retired or, or they're in a trust, the buffer should also include their personal inspections for three to six months, uh, personal expenses, I beg your pardon, for three to six months. This will enable landlord to survive while without drawing money from their property business. 
In terms of logistics, it's easy to set up an order to pay a regular amount into a separate savings account. Landlord will then be more likely to leave it alone and not dip into it, keeping it for a rainy day. And this will give the landlord peace of mind that they'll be able to ride out any temporary cash flow problems. During a downturn, it's important for landlords to maximise the amount of cash coming into their bank accounts, and this means having renters that pay their rent on time. So here are some tips to help maximise the amount of cash landlords have coming in each month. So when your property is empty, you'll not be receiving any income, but you'll be paying bills, for instance, gas and electricity standing charges and council rates. So to reduce voids, you can either keep the renters you already have or be organised if a renter gives notice so you can get the property to market promptly. If someone serves notice, either get a letting agent primed straight away or get your property listing ready if you're letting it yourself. This article says don't think hard about letting and managing it yourself as self-managing saves an average of, or says do think hard about it because self-managing saves an average of about 12% in management fees per year. Uh, just putting my hand up there, I'd say if a property management company is not earning you more than that uh, in terms of, of increased return, then yeah, that's certainly a consideration. If they do a really good job and earn you more money that's up and above that 12% uh, or so, then really it's not an issue. So tenant selection isn't easy at the best of times. Just like interviewing people for jobs, they might seem to be perfect on the day. However, you realise later that they were telling you what you wanted to hear. That said, with rental demand so high, you're likely to be able to choose from a short list of renters. In order to have stable rental income, you'll need renters that won't fall into arrears. With unemployment forecast to increase, the chance of renters becoming unemployed has increased. You can reduce the likelihood of arrears by focusing on affordability and reliability of income. It's easier said than done, but something to look out for when selecting renters. So increasing rent is never popular. However, expenses have been going up for landlords as well as renters at the same time as rents have been fairly stagnant. Most landlords change the rent at the start of a tenancy to bring it in line with the market. However, if you've not put the rent up since before COVID, it's likely that it would have fallen behind on market rate. I see a lot of people that I work with that have got the rent below the market rate. So on the other hand, good reliable renters are a key to a successful and sustainable rental portfolio. You may want to avoid putting your renters in financial difficulty by suddenly increasing the rent by a large amount. However, during periods of high inflation, if you don't increase your rent, you'll be receiving less rent in real terms. Data from economist Tony Alexander shows 74% of landlords will be raising rents within the next six months. Trade Me data shows the national median rents being asked for on the site was up 7.5% over the year to the end of October, just ahead of the 7.2% inflation rate. Scary thought. For landlords planning on raising rents, it's important to keep the lines of communication open with your tenants so they feel they can talk to you if they have financial problems. Problems can often be averted if they receive help and sound advice early on. Serving notice for rent arrears. If tenants get behind on their rent, serving notices should be the last resort after you've tried to reach a plan for your renters to repay arrears. Although, just as an aside, I'll jump out of this article for a second to say it's always best to make sure you are complying with what your insurance company would require in order to get or claim loss of rent insurance. So if despite all your support they aren't paying, you can apply to the Tenancy Tribunal for Payment of Rent Arrears and Eviction. There is a specific process you must follow to the letter. And more than 80% of Tenancy Tribunal cases deal with rent arrears. So another way is to minimise the cash that's going out on your rental property. So the amount that you're spending, and here's four quick tips. 
How much are you spending? Keep track of what you're spending on your rental properties and on what. Make a habit of going through your bank statements and updating your accounts at least once a month. Even if it's just on a spreadsheet or bit of paper, it's good to keep track. You'd be surprised how much little expenses like hot water servicing, new alarms, house keys, etc. add up to. This is before the interest on your borrowing and any payments to letting agents to manage your property. If you don't have one already, you need to keep a separate bank account just for the property business. Another tip is to defer optional building work. So unless you're secure financially, a recession is not really the time to start expensive optional building work. For example, upgrading kitchens and bathrooms that are a little dated but in full working order can be delayed. Replacing chrome taps with black taps isn't a priority in a recession unless they're not in good order. The payback time in terms of any investment in terms of increased rent needs to be short for it to be worthwhile. So what not to do? Don't be tempted to skip repairs and maintenance. Even when money's tight during a downturn, it can be tempting to cut back on repairs and maintenance. However, this would be the wrong decision. Your property is a valuable asset, and like a car, it needs regular servicing. So if a property is looked after, the renters are likely to be happier. They'll be more likely to look after the property and less likely to leave. This preserves your income and reduces voids with no rent coming in. If your property falls into disrepair, your tenant might take a case to the tenancy tribunal. If the tribunal serves a remedial notice, you'll have limited time to do the repairs. Finally, don't get behind on your own mortgage repayments. If you do get into financial difficulties, get in touch with your lender to discuss a repayment plan. And don't forget, although the property market is facing strong headwinds, a recession can be a buying opportunity for landlords, at least landlords with financing. So that's always a situation where you should check every once in a while with a lender or broker as to where you sit financially. Now with regards to the final few final article here, this one from goodreturns.co.nz says that rent's high under property managers. So as home ownership falls, property managers are increasingly present in the lives of one in three households that now rent. More than 40% of those tenancies are overseen by property managers on behalf of landlords, and over the last 20 years the number of property managers has more than doubled, and that's due to the unregulated industry, I would say. So to landlords, property managers provide a valuable service taking care of the day-to-day management of a rental, choosing tenants, arranging repairs and maintenance, and ensuring the rent arrives. But to renters, the property manager is an often unwanted intermediary, a henchman of sorts, tasked with all the landlord's dirty work, letting you know in a hundred small ways that the house you live in is not your own. So do property managers push up the rent? Common wisdom is that you'll pay more if you rent from a property manager, but is this true? Consumer New Zealand set out to answer the question by asking to compare the value of bonds lodged by property managers with the the woes lodged by private landlords. The approach isn't perfect, There is no single source of truth for who owns what property and how much they rent for, but the best data is the bonds lodged with tenancy services. However, bonds aren't lodged for all tenancies, and because they're only lodged at the start of tenancy, they don't capture rent increases for existing tenancies. Also, bond lodgement forms are not designed to definitively capture whether there's a property manager involved. So therefore, I'll just see if I can find within the article here, it's really quite a long one, as to whether they are actually dearer in terms of rent or not. And I'd say uh, probably just anecdotally that it is quite likely that uh, private owners who are directly working with tenants would more likely rent their properties for less rent for a wide range of uh, reasons, and there's a lot that I come across in that. So 
Um, really, it's a, a case of um, the market will always decide what tenants pay. It doesn't matter what anyone says when they're advertising it. It really is up to the market itself. So really there shouldn't be too much difference, but I do see many uh, private landlords who are undercutting the market rent um, because they um, feel that that's appropriate to, to do so, and that helps tenants, but in the same time it doesn't help the landlords who are under a lot of increased costs. So you've been listening to Property Matters here on One or Two People's Radio. That's all we have time for this week. You've been listening to Greg Watson, and you can find this as a podcast if you look up Property Matters and Greg Watson, wherever all good podcasts are found. Until next week, uh, have a safe and happy week. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.